Welcome to Insights with Sights, the Symphony of Scripture, a weekly podcast exploring the themes and contours of the weekly scripture readings. For more information about the podcast or to download the companion notes, please visit slash podcast We now join our host, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Seitz. Our readings for the eighth Sunday after Pentecost this year, July the 15th, are in track one, a continuation of our readings in Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 6, paired with Psalm 24. In track two, Amos chapter 7, the encounter between the prophet Amos and the priest Amaziah at the King's Sanctuary, paired with Psalm 85. We begin a new epistle reading as we leave 2 Corinthians and begin in the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And our gospel reading is Mark chapter 6. When we left David last week, The tribes of all Israel had rallied around him, and his kingship effectively began. Only the lame Mephibosheth from the house of Saul remained alive, and this Sunday marks the movement of the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, where there is as yet no temple, but the religious significance of Jerusalem for what will become The Davidic monarchy is here being intimated. When last we left the venerable Ark of the Covenant, it was in Kiryat Yearim, not far to the west of the city of David, where it had remained, we are told in the first chapters of 1 Samuel, 20 years. You may recall the ark had been taken away by marauding Philistine armies, who, doubling down to avoid the fate of the destroyed Egyptians of Moses' generation, routed Israel in battle. Good news and bad news. For the ark's presence in their victorious midst caused horrible tumors to break out throughout the coastal land, sending it from one city to another to get rid of the freshly renewed and potent Egyptian-like plagues brought no better results at Gath It was decided finally to send it away by cart, accompanied with special sin offerings. And on its way, where it promptly headed straight for home territory, a sign the priests had properly anticipated as meaning the judgment had been no accident. At its final staging point, The men of Beth Shemesh, 
dared to gaze into the ark, and they were ominously slain. But the ark was soon to rest in its proper 20-year place back in Israel. It's always intriguing to see what verses our readings may from time to time leave out. This Sunday, in our reading in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 6 through 12a are missing, which appears to be a kind of surgical excision from the middle of the chapter. If one bothers to look, here is the account of one Uzzah who reached out to steady the ark en route on its mobile journey now to Jerusalem. An Uzzah who was struck down for his peremptory efforts, giving rise to a popular name for the event and the place and striking fear in David. The ark can take care of itself, as we saw clearly in 1 Samuel, as it traveled around ominously the hostile Philistine territory. It steadies Israel. It isn't steadied. Parenthetically, I often find these steadying efforts in the lectionary readings, that is, leaving out more challenging verses from our lessons, a missed opportunity. David's dancing and rejoicing and shouting amid trumpet fanfare happens not in diminishment of the ark's sacred potency, but in the light of it. It is dancing and rejoicing after great fear and respect have been won and experienced by David. The despising by Saul's daughter, Michal, of which we read today, elides David's genuine fear, like a concerned lectionary editor, and leaves his leaping and rejoicing without a proper context for interpretation. With all their might means an exertion by David and his men, like as in battle, matched by the disciplined offerings of respect as they go. The terror and tumor-wielding ark must be brought forward with care and with exertion, such as David and his chosen men are capable of after the years of discipline we have followed closely in previous chapters. The psalm speaks of the founding of the seas and the stabilizing of the deep in the same breath as the ascent to God's dwelling. Who can ascend? Who can stand in his holy place? The generation capable of this must seek him with a pure heart and clean hands untethered to falsehood. The king of glory enters his holy place, the Lord of hosts, 
as seated upon the cherubim. He is the king of glory. He steadies, secures, defends, founds the seas, and dwells in safety in his holy place. In track two, the choice of Amos 7, to come alongside our gospel reading, draws our attention to the parallel between Amaziah and King Jeroboam in the northern kingdom of Israel and the Galilean king, in point of fact, the Tetrarch, Herod, and also between the prophet Amos and John the Baptist, the former banished, the latter tragically beheaded. Both prophets strong in word and deed. Lectionary comparisons are useful for calling attention both to kindred items and also subtle contrasts and so sharpen our eye on what is being depicted. The plumb line vision Amos is receiving is the third in a series of four, or five if chapter 9's later vision is also to be included. After each of the first two locusts, consuming the harvests, and a judgment by fire from the great deep. After these first two, the prophet begs God to relent. Amos the stern, as we know him, is as well a dedicated prophet of intercession for a wayward people. They are so small, Please relent and forgive. And God does relent due to this mighty prophet's plea twice. Jacob is so small. The third vision he receives is just as sharp. The sanctuaries and the royal house will come to an end. Amaziah's Banishing of Amos tragically means the sole person able to plead successfully with God for Jacob, Israel, and who has done so silently but surely is now himself silenced. Nothing will stay the judgment because of the priest's banishment. So the final vision confirms the reality. An end has come now upon Israel. Amos sees kites, summer fruit. And God says, kites, the end. The depiction of Herod is more complicated than Amaziah's. Mark tells us he liked to hear John. There is something compelling about him. In a memorable line, Mark writes, When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. 
and yet he liked to listen to him. This complexity may be entertaining to him, but his is a view of the matter not shared by his wife. John's condemnation of Herod's wrongful marriage to his sister-in-law, did Herod understand its sharp truth? Mark seems to say so. Herod feared him, knowing he was a righteous and holy man. But Herod is clearly a wavering, impetuous, weak ruler. A rash vow to a dancing daughter, his own or his wife's, seals John's fate. Any commentary will disclose how inbred, confusing in a way, and overly Herod named was the family tree. Keeping face before his guests, he has the order given and John is slain. A harbinger of the fate awaiting Jesus at the hands of those equally compromised and feckless, as Mark will in time report. This tragic event is provided in retrospect by Mark as a means of explaining that, while others had other explanations, Herod believed Jesus' mighty work was being done in the power and risen presence of the very John whom he beheaded. So much for getting rid of him, even by rash vow. Here in Mark's Gospel, we are facing the question of how to fit this Jesus into some known frame of reference. A prophet come back? Elijah himself? The carpenter, a son of Mary, surrounded by relatives? In the scene that follows, which we'll hear next Sunday, we have no report of John's death, such as Matthew supplies, but both Matthew and our Gospel Mark have Jesus withdraw to a lonely place. One senses a somber atmosphere. Luke just refers to the death but does not report the details. At issue in his Gospel also is who Jesus is and what is that going to mean in the face of these kinds of demonic assault. Our psalm speaks of mercy and truth embracing the truthfulness of the prophet John and the righteousness and mercy of Jesus Christ. The way of prosperity is a way of righteousness even into the jaws of death itself and demonic cruelty. John has prepared the way yet again, even at his death. And Jesus will follow and lead on onto into a new pathway of peace, as our psalm puts it. Those who turn their hearts to him will know peace, a peace passing all understanding. 
Our epistle reading for today shows the start of this new walk in Christ. As we leave 2 Corinthians and enter now Ephesians, chapter 1, where the big picture is in frame. The plan for the fullness of all time is a mystery truly there from eternity, witnessed in the law and the prophets, but now shown forth in boldness. We have been chosen, Paul writes, according to this plan from before the foundations of the earth. Jesus' death is part of this plan. It is not a John the Baptist tragedy. In him, we have redemption in his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And John as well, even in his death, is part of this same rich plan. The riches of God's grace freely bestowed on us includes John and is on offer for the sins of the whole world, including even a wicked Herod and a dancing Salome. Who is this Jesus? Just this Jesus. We hope you enjoyed Insights with Sights, the symphony of Scripture. For archived episodes and notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca slash podcast. Thank you, and we hope you tune in again. This podcast is a ministry of Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto.